Sports Scripts with DCROM is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with Dee Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromolo. Well, and then there were four, as they say, NFL Conference Championship Weekend is here with only the Rams, Saints, Patriots, and Chiefs alive in the race to Super Bowl 53. The winner goes to Atlanta for that big game, and obviously the loser goes home. And Hal Bent, my partner, do you think these were the four best teams in the NFL this year? Uh, head and shoulders, they showed it. Um, I would have said Chiefs and Chargers, but there was a little fade down the stretch by Los Angeles and hard to count out those New England Patriots with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady still there. Oh, I completely agree, and uh, I definitely look forward to breaking down these uh, exciting games with you in just a minute. But let's uh, talk about our uh, takeaways from Divisional Round Weekend, and I will go first here. Um the Colts offensive line last week was being praised, and rightfully so, as a brick wall unit. The addition of Quent Nelson and uh, the development of Ryan Kelly have just literally transformed that unit into one of the NFL's top five uh, offensive lines. But the Chiefs defensive line, led by Chris Jones and D. Ford, uh, they just overpowered that Colts offensive line the entire game, and also... Who saw the Rams' ground game gashing the Cowboys on the ground for over 230 yards? Nobody expected either either of those two things, and that's what makes football so great. Uh, Matchups that we predicted certain teams to significantly lose went in the complete opposite direction. It was a interesting interesting weekend i will say yeah i had one keyword for each of the games and you know as you said with the chiefs it was defense with the rams it was rushing with the saints it was resilience as they were resistant to those world champion eagles and for the patriots the physicality as they came out and pounded the chargers um with a a physical attack on both sides of the football so uh again the the ones in the two seeds the bye week uh it all plays a factor in and we've got the the final four here uh for these afc and nfc championship games these this week yeah Sometimes the bye week does work indeed. Rest, a lot of the time, is bigger than rust, as they say. And uh, any other takeaways from the the games last week? Um, You know, the other thing I noticed is I was expecting out of these four teams that won, if there was one team that was going to run the football to win, I expected it to be the New Orleans Saints. And they probably had the weakest rushing attack of any of these four finalists. Um, You mentioned the Rams, but the Chiefs, Damian Williams, had a huge game on the ground. And once they got that lead, they were a pounding team on the ground. Uh, The Patriots with Sony Michelle, James White, and Rex Burkhead, their three-headed rushing attack, um, just dominating teams, uh, dominating the Chargers on the ground as well. So these four teams known for their high-flying passing offenses, and all four of them were, you know, 
a ground team and making plays in the running game on offense. Oh, that most certainly were, and uh, the Saints are definitely going to need a much improved ground game to win even at home this week against the uh, Rams. And now let's uh, go to our favorite game, which is truth or exaggeration, and we're going to just break down some of the recent developments around the wider NFL before we preview the two conference championship games, and we start in Chicago with the Bears. The Bears didn't downgrade as much as some think at defensive coordinator with their hire of Chuck Pagano. I think that's a truth. Um, you know, Vic Fangio was a great fit in Chicago, um, a, a solid veteran. But there's uh, Chuck Pagano has a excellent reputation around the league. He's an established defensive coordinator, and as his successful tenure as a head coach brings those skills, and some could even argue it's a bit of an upgrade in Chicago. So I'll go truth on that. Um, what makes him a potential upgrade over Vic Fangio? Well, like Fangio, he has a his own unique style that he brings as a defensive coordinator. And while Fangio has been an excellent fit in Chicago, again, the teams are going – those defenses are going to change. There's going to be players in. There's going to be players out. And sometimes it doesn't hurt to have that – breath of fresh air that Pagano can bring to that uh, defense for the Bears and bring a new set of assistant coaches. Um, I mean, his track record as well for Pagano has, um, again, maybe not quite as lengthy as Fangio, but again, he has been in that role and brings all that background where he has been Browns, Raiders, Ravens, Colts, and a little bit more of that attacking style on defense that should play into the strengths of some of those Bears players on defense. Oh, especially that pass rush, man. And uh, with Roquan Smith uh, showing his uh, blitzing acumen this year, Pagano is going to blitz even more. So look for Roquan Smith to post um, uh, just as good, if not better, sack totals uh, uh next year as uh, Darius Leonard because I think Roquan Smith could be used in a very similar way. Exactly. And, you know, taking those young players to the second level, I mean, when I think of Chuck Pagano, I think of that tenure when he was the Ravens defensive coordinator um, with John Harbaugh and, you know, that secondary, that defensive line, um, you know, that ability to um, for Baltimore to be able to stop the run, you know, be aggressive on in the passing game. You know, be opportunistic. That's what I think of with a with a Chuck Pagano defense. Oh, very, very good point. And speaking of Vic Fangio, let's focus on his Denver Broncos. And this is a two-part um, question for truth or exaggeration. The Broncos did themselves a favor by not keeping Gary Kubiak as their offensive coordinator and going with a more fresh face and modern scheme in former 49ers quarterbacks coach Rick Scangarello. And on the flip side... Gary Kubiak is exactly who Kirk Cousins needs to take that next step for the Vikings. Oh, you know, it, it, it's hard to say Kubiak not in Denver is a good thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say that's a little bit of an exaggeration because Kubiak is going to run that offense based off of players who John Elway has brought in specifically to run that offense. And you wonder about the, the mesh between 
uh, Scangello in his scheme that he'll be bringing in and the players that John Elway is bringing in to play in that scheme. So there might be a little friction there that might not play out as well um, in in real life as it sounds like it would in theory having that fresh ideas there. Um, but as far as Kirk Cousins, that is absolutely a truth right there on that second part. I think Kubiak will do a world of good for Cousins. Um, you know, being able to bring that stretch offense that Kubiak runs with Dalvin Cook at running back, um, you know, being able to get Cousins out of the pocket on occasion, moving more and just opening up more opportunities for him to find Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen downfield is going to be a big plus for that offense. And don't forget uh, Kubiak as well. The tight end plays a large role in that. So we could see an uptick in numbers for Kyle Rudolph. Uh, yes, and the Vikings are going to need a lot more production from that tight end position, especially with a guy like Kirk Cousins uh, calling the shots. Uh, Cousins loved Jordan Reed in Washington. He needs another target like that in Minnesota. And we never talked about this, and this happened several weeks ago with the soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders hiring NFL Network draft guru Mike Mayock to be their new general manager. And Mike has obviously been a guy whose work I've admired for many years watching the draft. So for truth or exaggeration, it's this. Mike Mayock is an upgrade over Reggie McKenzie for the Raiders, a general manager. Ooh, that is a tough one. You know, I don't think Reggie McKenzie did a horrible job for the Raiders. I think, you know, there were obviously limitations on uh, his role and the players brought in there working for the Davis family as that ownership group who is a very hands-on ownership group. So I can't throw all the blame on McKenzie on that. Um, I wish Mike Mayock the most success. Big fan of him. I think he's, you know, one of the most respected um, voices, uh, you know, in his role as a draft analyst all these years for, uh, for the NFL Network. And it's it's a big step up for him. And it's going to be interesting to see how he interacts with other teams where they were information sources for him in the past and now they're potential trading partners. But as far as an eye for talent, if that's what the Raiders were looking for, I think they've got a great, great uh, analyst there in Mike Mayock who should hopefully be able to unearth some late-round finds for them and get some good fits for John Gruden's offense. Oh, yeah, and I can't think of any other head coach GM pair under more pressure this offseason than John Gruden and Mike Mayock are uh, because they traded away Khalil Mack, traded away Amari Cooper, arguably your best players on either side of the ball. You have now three first-round picks. You have to make these picks count and count big time because replacing Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, much easier said than done. And uh, Mike Mayock, uh, it is up to you and John Gruden to make sure that those trades don't turn out to be more wastes in what has been a dismal past uh, couple decades for the Raiders 
organization. And now we move on to the NFC Championship game as the Los Angeles Rams, for the second time this season, traveled to New Orleans to take on the Saints at the Superdome. And as I mentioned uh, earlier in the broadcast, uh, the Rams' story last week was that ground game with Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson. Heck, it was C.J. Anderson leading the way uh, last week as they both combined for over 230 yards on the ground. And when you look at the Saints, uh, Sheldon Rankins tore his uh, Achilles last week against the Eagles. And before the playoffs started, you and I agreed that Sheldon Rankins was the NFL's biggest unsung hero on any team in the 2018 season. So should the Rams keep that same run first approach uh, this weekend, given the season ending injury to Sheldon Rankins? I think they absolutely have to. This is a team uh, in the Rams who are based upon setting up the running play, the running game in order to open up that passing game to, to Robert Woods and downfield to Brandon Cooks. None of that is going to be possible without them being able to run the ball. And I think if you look at the Rams, you know, for all their reputation as a high flying offense that scored 54 points and threw for 450 yards against the Chiefs, I look at the Rams and I see a team that when they don't hit 100 yards rushing, they're two and three this season. Oh, very good statistic there, Hal. Thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, when you look at the Saints as well, their offense didn't have to do much last week because their defense outside those first couple drives pretty much uh, shut down Nick Foles until uh, Alshon Jeffrey dropped that pass on the uh, game's penultimate drive. Uh, But I think that this Saints offense is going to probably have to do a lot more this week. Do you? Oh, definitely. I I think one thing that we um, kind of overlooked coming down the stretch is the Saints finished the season three and two. They had everything pretty much locked up, but that offense had a lot of struggles coming down the stretch. Um, You know, those 40 point games that were there early in the season disappeared down the end of the season. And there were a lot of those, you know, those 12, nine wins, those 13 to 10 losses. And instead of being outliers, they looked more and more like the norm. And, you know, as we had touched on briefly, this is a team that needs to run the football with both Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram in order to get that offense running at a high level and, you know, need to find somebody else to throw the football to other than Michael Thomas and in injury root news for them, Ben Watson, their ageless tight end is out for this game. So that's one less option already for Drew Brees. Oh, yes. And both of these teams are probably going to have to make running the ball the centerpiece of their offense, uh, given the fact that obviously the Saints don't have Sheldon Rankins and uh, the uh, Rams, even though they have Defensive Player of the Year Aaron Donald, uh, running the ball against the Rams on a Wade Phillips defense is easier than it should be. <laughs> exactly. And, and they've struggled all year in that regard. I mean, they've um, if you want to go by yards per attempt, they're tied for dead last with the Chiefs, um, you know, 
number of yards short. It's hard for teams to run the football against them when they're behind by three scores. But as, as the Rams have uh, seen this year, stopping the run has been kind of their Achilles heel. And there have been teams that have taken advantage of it. Uh, case in point in Seattle, who took them to the edge and probably should have beat them both games. But both games, the Seahawks up front just pounded and pounded the Rams repeatedly. And if I'm the Saints, that's something I'm taking note of uh, heading into this matchup. Sean Payton probably is doing just that, knowing the way that guy operates. And who do you think is the most important player for each team on offense and defense in order to win the NFC championship? Um, Well, on offense, you know, I'm rooting for C.J. Anderson along with you. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Just seeing him, you know, the way that he comes in and worked his way uh, into a a star role and then this season bouncing around, it's a great story. I'm rooting for him, but Todd Gurley's still going to be that most important player on offense for the Rams. They need to get him going, not just running the football, but in the receiving game as well. Um And then once we look on the defensive side, um, you know, one player who has underachieved all year for the Rams and stepped up and had a huge game last week. And that's the other side uh, standing next to Aaron Donald all season long. Ndamukong Sue had a huge game generating pressure beating those one-on-one matchups, something that we expected from him all season long and really hadn't done, and finally stepped up and did it last week. So I would put him as the one player who needs to step up and make an impact uh, for the for the Rams. And for the Saints, um, going to them on, you know, again, we have the, the Saints, the most important player. We know Michael Thomas is going to get his receptions. We know Kamara is going to be involved in the passing game, but they've got to find that third option. And, you know, we already talked about Ben Watson's out. Is it going to be Josh Hill at tight end? Is he going to step up and convert those first downs? Are we going to see T- uh, Traquan Smith, their young wide receiver? Is he going to be involved in this game? Somebody else is going to have to step up on offense for New Orleans in order to uh, be able to score enough points to keep up with that Rams offense and again not get caught in a hole and be able to dig their way out going to the other side of the football it's hard to pick just one person because again we talked about the loss of Rankins and now in the middle there's that that big hole there and you know Tyler Davidson uh undrafted free agent Taylor Stallworth I just don't see those two as big primetime players and now I'm looking at that second level of the defense and is it going to be an AJ Klein or Alex Anzalone at linebacker uh, who's going to be able to step up and make those plays in the running game and keep that uh that Rams rushing attack under control. So so I'll sit, I'll split it and say Anzalone and Klein, one of those two is going to have to step up and make some big plays and big stops in the running game for the Saints. Eyes indeed are on those two Saints linebackers and containing the Rams one-two punch on the ground of Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson and game-deciding matchups here. Um, you mentioned Adam Kinsu having a great game against the Cowboys last week, but keep in mind that was against a significantly weakened uh, interior offensive line. Uh, Zach Martin is still an excellent player, but 
not having Tra- Travis Frederick there, I think, helped Adam Kinsu dominate that game tremendously. This week, he's going against an infinitely tougher competition in that Saints interior offensive line with uh, Max Unger and Andrew Pete and Larry Warford. So uh, him against any of those three guys um, is going to be very crucial for the Rams, if they, especially if they want to free up Aaron Donald with some one-on-one opportunities. So that is a game-deciding matchup for me. What about for you? Oh, definitely. I mean, that is a huge matchup there. And, you know, another one I would look at as well with the Saints on defense is, again, I I touched briefly on on Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. The, The Rams offense, I've been saying it since he went down, has not been the same since Cooper Cup got injured. And there's a lot more pressure on Woods and Cooks to produce game in and game out. They just, you know, Josh Reynolds just isn't that guy. Gerald Everett at tight end just hasn't taken that step forward for the Rams. So with that pressure on those two receivers, conversely, I think those matchups are those receivers against impressive young first-round pick Marshawn Lattimore and the resurgent Eli Apple um, in that Saints secondary. And if those cornerbacks can lock down on those Rams receivers, that could be a huge, huge game-deciding matchup for the Saints. Oh, I completely agree. And uh, we talked about this last week. In order to compensate for the absence of Cooper Cup, why don't uh, use two back sets on third downs with Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson, given how excellent both of them are in the receiving game as well, and have them both run routes to try to confuse the defense. They didn't do any of that last week. I think they almost have to do it this week, especially against uh, some suspect linebackers in coverage. Oh, I think it's a great plan. And, and actually, they if they want to do that, they've got it on tape because that's what the Patriots did to the Chargers. They had Rex Burkhead and James White both in that backfield, two running threats on third down and also able to get out in Uh, and make plays. And we saw James White with 15 receptions out of the backfield last year, uh, last week for the Patriots. And that's a game plan that if I'm the Rams, I'm copying that heading into this matchup with the Saints. Hopefully you're listening, Sean McVay. And who do you have winning the NFC Championship game? I I think this is going to be one of those great games. I think Aaron Donald is going to have his usual, you know, uh, huge impact and especially on on the giant stage where he finally deserves to be. But, uh, you know, it's hard to bet against Drew Brees in these situations. And I'm going to give it to the Saints. It's going to be a close one. I think it'll be a little lower scoring than a lot of people think, but I have the Saints 24 to 22 over the Rams. Ooh, I think it's going to be a very, very, very close game too, but a little bit more higher scoring. Saints 31, Rams 27. And the second of two conference championship games, the New England Patriots traveling to America's heartland in Kansas City, home of Arthur Bryant's barbecue and some of the best barbecue you'll have in the world. And the birthplace of modern jazz, dare I say, was Kansas City, Missouri as well. So that city holds a special place in my heart to take on Patrick Mahomes, who is well on his way to establishing himself as the best quarterback in the NFL. I think he'll be considered that within the next year or two. And the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs, as we mentioned, uh, they did an excellent job, not just um, winning their one-on-one battles against that Colts offensive line in the passing game, 
but they also were able to limit that Colts running game as well, which was super impressive. But tell me, why can the Patriots have much more success on the ground against this Chiefs defense than the Colts did last weekend? Well, for the for the Patriots, as far as the, the success with running the football, number one, they're going to stick to it no matter what, because that is what their offense is. But number two is that they have so many receiving threats, even if they go into a heavy personnel set, that opposing defenses just cannot take the risk of putting three linebackers out there and, you know, a seven, you know, having a big front seven because the Patriots can boom, pull James White, Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead out of that backfield. They'll throw the ball to James Devlin, uh, their fullback. We all know that Rob Gronkowski can still catch the football and be a dangerous weapon, uh, especially in the deep middle of the field, as he was against the Chiefs in the week six matchup. So they have, they still have to respect those blockers who can catch the football and the Patriots not knowing what they're going to do out of that set is what makes their offense so dangerous and hard to defend for these defenses when the Patriots are running the football well. Yes, and uh, this Patriots offensive line, as they showed last week, as they went back to playing 2004-style bully ball, in the words of uh, Teddy Bruschi, uh, is worlds apart than the offensive line that had to go on the road in the 2015 AFC Championship game against the Denver Broncos and that pass rush with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware, the pass rush that would eventually win Super Bowl 50, and the Chiefs pass rush, while I don't think it's as good as the pass rush with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware in 2015, with Chris Jones and D. Ford and Justin Houston, even at this stage of his career, that is uh, no picnic, especially going against the crowd noise at Arrowhead as well. But also, tell me why can this Patriots offensive line contain the Chiefs pass rush, unlike the unit that went against the Broncos in the 2015 AFC Championship. Well, that that Bronco that that 2015. I was actually just looking at that game, uh, looking back at some of the Patriots AFC Championship games since they're amazingly eight in a row, which is just mind boggling. Um, but that team had. I, I think they had over 12 I had 12 players on injured reserve and 15 players questionable or doubtful heading into that AFC championship game, which is just unbelievable. That offensive line at the time, uh, Nate Solder was lost for that season at left tackle. Um, they had moved their right tackle, who did not like playing left tackle, over to the left side. They had Marcus Cannon, who's the right tackle, now as well, playing on the right side then, uh, playing with a broken toe on the right side because that was his plant foot. He couldn't play left tackle where he had been originally replacing Solder. Um, so so that team was weak. There were injuries in the interior offensive line as well. I mean, that was a, a walking wounded. Sebastian Vollmer retired after that game. Um he was in no shape to be out on that field with the injuries that he had at that time and had tried to gut that out. Now we're looking at a, a rested team, a team that's healthy up front. Marcus Cannon's back to 100% where he was in 2016, where he was an all-pro at right tackle. And Trent Brown, who is just massive with those long, strong arms, that lower body strength where he's able to plant his legs and drive a the defender, the pass rusher, far behind and out of the play, 
which is one of his big strengths, which allows Brady, if Chris Jones is not in his face, to be able to step up and make plays downfield or move them out of the way and allow those running backs to have all that space to cut back and make big plays on the ground. Fantastic analysis as always, Hal. And let's talk about this Patriots defense for a second. And Patrick Mahomes is hands down the league MVP this year by far. And based on watching the film of their previous meeting uh, this season, what concepts do you expect the Patriots defense to use in order to contain and pressure Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I, I think that week six is when they first started doing what they call in New England the mush defense. Um, basically, you've got seven or eight guys standing at the line of scrimmage, uh, basically not letting the quarterback and the offensive line be able to pick out the pass rushers, what their matchup is, not knowing who's going to drop back into coverage, who's going to come at them. That confused the Chiefs for the first half of the game, uh, didn't have as much success in the second half. So they're going to have to dial up some other uh, plays to get at Mahomes and get pressure up the middle is going to be the key. So I think that's going to be Kyle Van Noy and Donta Hightower, two excellent blitzers. Um, put both of them right up there on the center in the A-gap, uh, bring pressure that way. The Patriots last week against the Chargers had success with some cover zero blitzes where they had nobody back, which is risky, risky, risky against Tyreek Hill. But they may be forced to do that in order to get Mahomes to get rid of the football in a hurry, because if you're not containing that setting that edge like you would against a running back and letting Mahomes out of the pocket, that's where you see these highlight throws that he seems to be making a couple of every week, whether it's throwing across his body, sidearm, 50 yards downfield on the run, whatever it is, he has that amazing ability to, once he's outside of the pocket, uh, just make huge play after huge play. And containing him, keeping him in the pocket is going to be a huge part of that pass rush in addition to getting the pressure in his face. But containing him and keeping him from getting outside is going to be another main key concern of that Patriots defense. Oh, it most certainly is. A lot of people, uh, when he was drafted, were comparing Patrick Mahomes to Brett Favre. I think he's much more like Aaron Rodgers than he is Brett Favre. Uh, because uh, unlike Brett Favre, he has much wiser decision-making, especially at this stage of his career, as Favre did in the early stages of his career. And also, like Aaron Rodgers, uh, when you get, he's the most dangerous on the move, and you have to keep Mahomes in the pocket in order to um, mitigate disaster every single play. So uh, keeping Patrick Mahomes in the pocket via that mush rush is... Uh, Obviously, one of the top two keys for the Patriots on defense. And earlier this week, uh, the weather forecast in Kansas City was calling for a so-called Arctic blast in which uh, the temperature was expected to be the low, low single digits and uh, and be arguably the coldest game in the history of Arrowhead. But that forecast has changed. It's now expected to be in the upper teens, lower 20s uh, come kickoff time. So how does that change in weather forecast alter your prediction somewhat of this game? Um, You know, I, 
I, I don't think it's a it's a huge impact. I think you'll see more points just because both teams are going to be more comfortable, more um, willing to run their full offense and not worrying about that extreme cold quarterbacks being able to tr- grip the football, receivers able to hold on to it, um, you know, the ball being like a rock, especially in the kicking game with those K balls. Um, that can affect the game sometimes with that extreme cold. So, um, for my prediction wise, I don't think it's going to swing towards either team with an advantage with it being colder or warmer. But as far as if you're betting the over or the under, I'd go with the over now. Oh, that is a very, very good point, Hal. And uh, who do you think is the most important player for the Patriots and Chiefs on offense and defense in order to win this AFC championship game? For the Patriots on offense, it's going to be a first-round draft pick running back, Sony Michelle. As Sony Michelle goes, so go the Patriots. Um, they haven't lost a game where he's hit 100 yards rushing in this season. He ran all over the Chargers last week, and they need to have him set that tone for the offense, be able to control the clock, keep You know, the best way to stop Patrick Mahomes is keep him standing on the sidelines. And the Patriots understand that. We saw how they came out against the Chargers with that long 14-play drive to start the game. I think there's nothing they'd rather do than do that as well this week. And that comes down to Michelle in the running game. Uh, As far as on the defensive side of the game field, um, you know, you're not going to stop Tyreek Hill. I don't think anybody's done that this year. But, you know, if you can slow him down, and that means Stephon Gilmore, they are all pro cornerback. He had one hiccup last week against Keenan Allen, that early um, touchdown pass, that deep pass where he bit inside. Um, but beyond that, he, he was a glove and shut down uh, after that one touchdown pass, zero for four, two passes defended. He was a, a shut down cornerback and he's going to have to play that way, especially when he's lined up across from Tyreek Hill. So I would say easily he is the most important player on that Patriots defensive side. And for the chiefs, you know, I think on offense, the easy answer, Mahomes Hill, I'm going to say Travis Kelsey. He's had some trouble getting uh, on track against the Patriots his last two games against them. He only has 101 yards receiving combined, no touchdowns in those games. Um, Bill Belichick, if anybody understands the importance of a tight end in a passing game, it is him, and he has always devoted these last two games, looking back on that tape, extra bodies on Travis Kelsey, um, lining up linebackers out wide, defensive ends in front of him to jam him at the line of scrimmage. There's always extra attention paid to Travis Kelsey here uh, in both of these last two games. So for the Chiefs, they're going to need Kelsey uh, to convert those third down plays across the middle to make a couple of big plays down the field as well for their offense, especially if Gilmore is able to lock up Hill. So on offense, I'm going to say it's Travis Kelsey as the most important player on the defensive side. Um, you know, hard to overlook a guy with 15 and a half sacks like Chris Jones, but he doesn't get all the national attention he deserves as, um, probably one of the most, uh, 
outside of Aaron Donald and, and J.J. Watt, most devastating inside pass rushers. And, you know, the book on Tom Brady for the past 20 years has been to get that pressure in his face without having to blitz, and that falls squarely on the shoulders of Chris Jones. If he can get that inside pass rush, win those one-on-one matchups against that tough interior line of the Patriots, uh, that can go a long way towards slowing down this New England offense. Oh, I definitely agree about Chris Jones. And when you look at that uh, AFC Championship game against the Broncos that we talked about um, from uh, 2015, as great as Von Miller and Demarcus Ware were in that game, the inside pressure of Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson in that game was arguably the key for, to the Broncos pulling off that upset uh, on their way to winning Super Bowl 50. Oh. So, uh, Chris, so Chris Jones uh, is going to have to play pretty much the exact same role. I think he definitely is going to have to. I mean, that was, um, you know, for the Patriots, you can go back to those Super Bowls against the Giants as well. And, and you know, the Giants being able to get that pressure inside uh, like they were able to do against the Patriots. And, you know, talking about the Broncos as well with that, um, the pressure inside, uh, even go back to. 2013 and and Terrence Knighton and Sylvester Williams where they got that inside pressure on Brady in that game that went a long way towards the Broncos being able to shut down that high-flying Patriots offense and just hold them to 16 points in that game. Oh, very, very good point as well. Those uh, Giants defensive lines in those Super Bowls, that interior pressure was absolutely pivotal in both of those Super Bowl victories for them against uh, these uh, New England Patriots. And in terms of game deciding matchups, I think uh, a lot of people are going to say Chris Jones against the Patriots interior offensive line. I think an equally important matchup is uh, the interior of the Patriots defensive line and those two linebackers you mentioned coming on blitzes, uh, Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, you name it, against that Chiefs interior offensive line. Because in order to keep Mahomes constrained in the pocket, they're going to have to do a lot of those double A gap looks. And that Chiefs interior offensive line uh, is arguably the weakest link of their offense. So that's a game deciding matchup for me. That's a great point, David. And another one as well is seeing that interior Chiefs offensive line, uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, their right guard who's been a starter the last four years for them. Uh, he's been out since week five. He's being activated for this game. And how rusty is he going to be? And is he going to be able to be quick enough and in tune? We know with those offensive lines, they need a lot of time together to work together as a unit and be thinking the same thing as your brother next to you in the trenches. So um, having him in there without having played since week five, that be, could be very, very interesting for the Chiefs. Is is that going to be an advantage or a disadvantage? We shall find out. And who do you think comes out victorious in the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead today? Oh, you know, it, it's hard to pick against... Belichick and Brady, but I'll tell you that the season that Patrick Mahomes has had, the way that he's been able to, uh, you know, move that ball, whether it's the quick strike, whether it's, you know, checking down. I think last week against the Colts, I saw him check down to the runs more times than I've seen him all season long, which is a sign of maturity in a younger quarterback. You know, they've got the crowd noise at home. So it's so hard to 
to beat. And, you know, looking back at the way that Mahomes in his first matchup against Belichick, where was so befuddled, held to three field goals, threw two interceptions in the first half, and still brought that offense back with four touchdowns in the second half, uh, tied the game at 40 before the Patriots went down and won. I I just can't pick against Patrick Mahomes this year. I'm going to say we'll make it a, a nail-biter, but the Chiefs win 31-30 to over the Patriots. Hal, uh... You and I have uh, something simpatico with one another, and we have a simpatico alert here. We both uh, tend to doubt our hometown teams. <laughs> it's because we see them too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, yes. And and for the record, I'm not uh, even a fan of any individual team these days. I just uh, watch the sport uh, for the enjoyment and as a necessary, dare I say, escape from this uh, very difficult world we are living in amidst uh, this uh, very difficult, challenging time. But I just see the Patriots going back to the Super Bowl because I just refuse to bet against Brady and Belichick uh, going against a, a bad defense. And I think the Patriots end up winning the game 27-23. to 23. And you want to know why? Stay tuned for our bowl predictions in just a little bit. And we are now at the bowl prediction segment of our program. And uh, Hal, uh, what is your bowl prediction? Well, uh, I'm going to come back to my bold prediction is going to be that that Saints rushing attack. We're not. We're gonna. We saw last week um, the teams running the ball. The Patriots, the Chiefs with their hundred yard rushers. The Rams with their two hundred two one hundred yard rushers. My bold prediction is, in the Saints win over the Rams, it'll be the Saints who get their two 100-yard rushers with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara both topping the century mark as the Saints ride them into the Super Bowl here, uh, both running backs topping 100 yards. I have a similar prediction about running the football. The Patriots will gash the Chiefs for over 250 rushing yards on the ground, and that will be the key to them pulling out a tight victory at Arrowhead. And last but not least, our challenge flags. I will go first here. My challenge flag goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs, do not be afraid to beat the New England Patriots at their own game of bully ball. Run the ball yourself and play keep away from Tom Brady. And for my challenge flag, um, you know what? Since I'm picking against them, I'm going to go to the to the Rams here again. Don't you've got to be able to run the football? You did it last week. Don't be afraid if you fall behind to these Saints to abandon all hope in the run and start airing the ball out. That is the biggest mistake that teams have made falling behind against the Saints. Los Angeles, your offense is all about running the football. Don't stop running even if the Saints come out hot. You know the Super Bowl is going to be rocking. Just survive that first quarter. And if you're going to pull off the upset against the Saints, it's going to be on the backs of those running backs, uh, C.J. Anderson um, and especially Todd Gurley. So in conclusion, the key to winning both the AFC Championship and the NFC Championship for any of these four teams is to run the rock. And he is my good friend Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com and Patriots fans can catch his Patriots-themed work at musketfire.com and bostonsportpage.com. Hal, 
Enjoy the games today, my friend, and it's always great having you on. See you next time around. Can't wait for it, David. Have a a great weekend as well, and hopefully two great games. I hope so too, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But tomorrow through Thursday, we will be back in Mobile, Alabama for the second straight year covering the 2019 Reese's Senior Bowl. Stay tuned for daily updates and interviews throughout our stay down in Sweet Home, Alabama. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at Patreon. So we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.